In the name of Jesus, amen. Please be seated. Yesterday here, here in Hillcrest was Harvest Fest. Probably several thousand people came yesterday and flooded the streets of this community to come and listen to vendors and music. And we were out there with a couple of tents with our church, handing out swag, water bottles, free water, pamphlets on Lutheranism, even pamphlets on the ECDC. We had people asking us about our church, people asking us about the ECDC, and possibly how they could enroll their kids. And one of the highlights of yesterday was yesterday afternoon when our youth group showed up. 20 plus kids, all wearing their youth group t-shirts with giant Luther roses and the emblem of the church on their back, going out, handing out bags of swag, water bottles, and pamphlets that say a small explanation of Lutheranism. To everybody, kids three years old, holding these pamphlets, kids all the way up to 15-year-olds, giving out this stuff for people and inviting them to the church. It was wonderful to see families out there with their kids. And you might sit here today and say, well, that's fantastic. It sounds nice. It's a great Facebook memory to put on our church's website. But maybe you're sitting here today, and maybe some of your kids who are now grown, or maybe some of your grandkids who are now grown, maybe they don't have this Christian faith. Maybe they wouldn't be caught dead in this place, let alone representing their church and their faith out in the community. Is everybody in your family a member of the church? Are they here on a regular basis? I know not every family member that I have in my own family is that case. If that is the case, blessed are you. For most of you, though, that's probably not what you see. For most of you, you have children, grandchildren, brothers or sisters, maybe even a husband or a wife who does not have faith in Christ or who comes to church regularly. And I know that's a sad and painful thing that I've even experienced in my own life. These are the people that you grew up with, that you helped raise, that you sat there on your lap, dandling them around. They're the people that you love dearly. They're the people that maybe you even brought to these waters of holy baptism. And now you see them regularly at the holidays or other family gatherings, perhaps even in your household that you see every day. There is that urge, and I've heard many of you speak about it to me that urge to share the faith, to see them back in church. Maybe not necessarily this church, but somehow practicing Christianity. And you'd love to talk to them. Pastor, what can I say? What can I do to bring them back in the church? But then there's also that aspect of being a little scared. I don't want to offend them. I don't want to anger them. I don't want to make them feel guilty. And so you pray for them. You try to encourage them. But more than anything else, you worry. You worry about them walking away from the faith. Today we celebrate James the Just or James the brother of Jesus. Now there's several out there who will debate whether or not Jesus truly had brothers and sisters or whether he did have brothers and sisters. 
and I'm not going to get into that here today. That's what a bunch of theological nerds like to talk about, and I'm one of them, to be sure. But here it is. Whether Jesus has a true brother named James or whether it's one of his shirt-tail relatives, would it surprise you that Jesus' own family members didn't believe in him? You heard that today, even from our gospel reading. Jesus is back in his hometown. He's preaching and teaching, and they're looking at him saying, what's the deal? Who is this? Isn't this Mary's son? Isn't this the son of the carpenter? He got religion now, and now he's walking around talking like he is the savior of the world. And you'll notice that they're offended by him. It's not just the neighbors, but it's even of the people in his own family. You would think that the people who were raised with Jesus, the people who were around Mary and Joseph's household, would certainly believe in Jesus, that they would follow him, maybe even become his disciples. I'm going to be about my brother's business. But that's not the case. On one occasion, as he's teaching... His, mother's, his mother and brothers show up and they want him to leave his disciples behind and come be with them. They want him to come home. And John chapter 7 flat out tells us Jesus says that his own, we hear that his own brothers did not believe in him. Jesus even looks at that beyond and says, who are my mother and my brothers? But those who do the will of God. You would think growing up with the Son of God, the creator of the universe, the one who keeps things all in order, the one who does all of the miraculous things by dying and rising again from the dead, you would think that somehow, some way, his family members would attend his church, that they might listen to him. But his own brothers reject him. He's like that crazy relative that shows up to the family reunion with their floppy Bible, wanting to sit down with everybody and talk religion, and everybody is saying, somebody go talk to him. Stay away from him. He's crazy. He's lost his mind. He's off his rocker. Imagine the sorrow. Imagine the pain that Jesus even feels with his own family rejecting him. That's why we give thanks today for James of Jerusalem. James, the brother of Jesus, or James the just. Which is it, pastor? It's all of them. He's called James the just because he is the first bishop of Jerusalem. He's the first bishop of the church where the Jews are becoming Christians. And as you heard in Acts chapter 15, it might have been hard to pull all of this out, but really what James is telling the apostles and the disciples is, is that the holy Christian church is not just for the Jews, but they are also for the Gentiles as well. And this is a big thing. Because Jews and Gentiles don't get together and have church. They don't get together and believe the same thing. And here is James, the brother of Jesus, who is showing that there is a just God who has sought out to seek and to save the world. Without James in Acts chapter 15, we wouldn't be here today. Because you're all Gentiles. 
You are all living in the 21st century, and you're not in Jerusalem. You're in Little Rock. I'd rather be here because I've been to both places. There are several times, though, in the New Testament where we hear about this is James, who is Jesus' brothers. He's mentioned in our gospel for today. He's listed as the first brother, so he's probably the oldest. And in the first reading, we heard about how he is in charge of the church in Jerusalem. He led them as the bishop for about 30 years until he was martyred. He was killed for the faith. That's what we have read. Because he shed his blood by the power of the Holy Spirit to confess this faith. He was stoned to death. If you know anything about stoning to death, it's not little river rocks and people throwing them at you. These are big, big rocks being heaved at you to literally crush you to death. He was stoned to death in the year 62 AD. And according to tradition, James had a nickname, which was Old Camel Knees. Might say that's kind of weird. But people would call him Old Camel Knees because he spent so much time on his knees and in prayer. His kneecaps were so worn out that they had calluses. They looked like camel's knees. But this is not always how James was. Throughout Jesus' life, you don't see James right there saying, I'm his, his brother. I'm right there with him. Throughout Jesus' life, James did not believe Jesus. James was not there to listen to Jesus. In fact, when Jesus dies on the cross, it should have been James who takes care of Mary, their mother. But instead, Jesus gives Mary to the disciple John instead. So what changed? How did this family member who did not believe in Jesus and his message of salvation, how did he go from rejecting Jesus to being a leader in the church? Paul tells us that after Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to James. No one gives the detail of his story. Jesus doesn't come out of the resurrection through his empty tomb and slap James in the face and say, do you get it now? Do you really understand what's going on? We don't know what happened when he appeared to James or what he said to him. We only know what happened, and this was what changed James's life from unbelief to belief. Jesus never gave up on his family. And that is the joy we find here today. Despite your worries and your family members and friends whom you have not seen here, Jesus will never give up on your family either. There is always hope. There is always time to repent and come back to faith. But it doesn't happen automatically. In fact, in some ways, it can be a downright mess. They're not going to miraculously wake up one morning and change their mind. If these people are going to come to faith, it will be through the words of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how Jesus promises to work. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 
One of my seminary professors, Dr. John Seleska, told us a story one day in class about how he was engaged to his wife and every Sunday as he was in seminary, he would pick up his fiance and her mother and go to church. But he said that his future father-in-law would not go to church. And every Sunday he would walk into his fiance's house where she lived with her parents and the mother would be ready and his fiance would be ready and his mother would always look at her husband and say, do you want to go to church? No, not today. And he said, throughout our engagement, even on to our marriage, the same thing happened over and over again. And he said, one day my mother became critically ill, went to the hospital, and he said, my father was sitting up there by her side, worried about her condition. And he said, her pastor came up and read to her words of comfort, of read, read the words of scripture concerning the resurrection. And he said, she died. And he said, two weeks later, my father-in-law showed up to church. Three weeks later, he was baptized. Five weeks after that, he was confirmed, and then he died. His point to us as future pastors was never to give up and to give that same message to your family. His wife never saw the results of that invitation here on earth. She sees it now. God has put you in the lives of these people. God has given these people to you, your husband, your wife, your children, your grandchildren, your siblings, your neighbors. You are to love them the best way that you can. And at times to love them is simply to come and see and hear at this place. It's hard. It's uncomfortable. It's much easier to talk to Jesus to a stranger like we did yesterday who you may never see again or who kindly smiles and says, bug off. It's much easier to do that than to talk to your family whom you have to interact with all the time. But if this is the most important thing in all the world, if this knowing Jesus is your life and your salvation, it's hard also to be silent. If this is what gives you most joy in coming to hear the word of God, to receive his forgiveness at his altar, how can you not invite, yes, over and over, these people to be a part of this celebration? But here's the thing. Expect them to say no. They said no to the Son of God, his own family said that, they're going to say it to you and to me. For most of us, though, we have somebody who in our family was introduced to Jesus, and Jesus loves to use these family connections. If we want to see those apart from Jesus connected with him, there's a good chance that he's going to use these family connections that you have again. But even if they persist in faithlessness, even if they continue to say no or get lost, that faith that you hold dear, that you have in love for another family member, will always be faithful to them as well. 
When Jesus' family comes looking for him, as a reminder, he says to those sitting at his feet, For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Not only do you have your flesh and blood family, but look around here today. You have the family of God. This is your true family. Here in their reserved pews, where they always have been. Some of you have taken note and switched it up. But these are your brothers and sisters by baptism, adopted into the one family of God with the holy name of God placed upon us as our Father has loved us and Jesus, our brother, has given up his life for us. And in a few short moments, we will pray, Our Father, and we will gather together at this family meal, at this holy table, And I want you to bring those worries and concerns and those people who have not shown up here to this table. I want to remind you what Dr. John Kleinig tells us, that as you come to this table, you receive the forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. You receive the strengthening of faith. But as you come to this table at the feet of Jesus, as he gives himself to you, Speak the names of your family members and your friends who are in need of your prayers. As you come to receive the Savior's precious body and blood, speak the names of those who are in your heart, those whom you are concerned about. Place them on to Jesus and in many ways say, you take care of it because I cannot. And in so many ways, he can totally associate with you. So if you feel alone, if you're worried and depressed because your family has not found themselves here in church or practicing Christianity, maybe even rejecting it, my words to you today are don't give up hope for them. You may never see the results of your invitation or your prayers. Don't give up hope for them to come here to gather with their true family and rejoice in all the wonderful people that Jesus brings together in his family. Because after all, James rejected him, and he simply was not just Jesus' brother. He was Jesus' true brother by faith. And thanks be to God that James is our brother by faith because the Son of God is is your Savior and brother too. To Christ alone be the glory forever and ever. Amen.